and welcome to The Sunday Salon, the podcast that celebrates brilliant books and the women who write them. Lockdown and drinking go together like wine and cheese. Or do they? Given the unusual situation we find ourselves in, perhaps it's not surprising that booze sales have rocketed. However, Millie Gooch knows the problems with using alcohol as a coping mechanism only too well. After finding that her binge drinking was leaving her polaxed by anxiety, she gave it up and started the Sober Girl Society, an online community of other teetotal women. I loved talking to her about that, as well as her warning flags to watch for, sober dating, peer pressure, anxiety management, and more. She has some really great, really practical advice for anyone hoping to cut back. I hope you find it as interesting and useful as I did. Millie, welcome to the Sunday Salon. It's such a joy to have you on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Now, we were chatting a little bit before I started recording um, because I'm really excited by the timing of our of our conversation. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not excited about the fact that we're all in lockdown and that everything is terrible. I'm not at all excited about that. But it, it, it does feel like, like a timely moment to talk about alcohol and about our relationship with alcohol. Being in lockdown, booze is definitely something that people have turned to, to to kind of help them get through it, particularly when it feels like there's no sort of exciting outings on the horizon or whatever. You know, an, an easy way to just have a nice time at home might be to just make a cocktail or 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 whatever so it it feels like very very good timing before I launch into your story and the book and so on can I just ask how this past almost 12 months of lockdowns of on and off locking down has has been for you yeah so actually it's been really interesting so I found out that I was going to write the book in February and I was asked if I could get it written by July really was my deadline and I kind of said yes in the meeting because you just say yes don't you and then I I, I found out that I was going to write it and I started to panic because I realized that actually I had a couple of Hindus planned I, I was going on a trip to Sweden and then I got called up for jury service and I was like I have no idea when I'm going to be able to write this book imagine if I have to do like six months of jury service and then all of a sudden the world just started shutting down so all my trips got cancelled my jury service got cancelled they said you know we don't need you and that's your you done now so they didn't even say we're going to delay it they just said like we'll put your name back in the hat so all of a sudden I had all this time ahead of me to write so like day in day out I would just get up write go to sleep get up write go to sleep and then it's interesting actually because this lockdown I haven't had that to do so it's almost as if I'm experiencing my first lockdown I didn't I didn't have time last time to make banana bread and and do all the virtual zoom quizzes so this is this is weirdly like my first lockdown and when you were just getting up and writing like that I mean was that an enjoyable experience or was it a lot of people had difficulty concentrating on their work when so much was going on did you not find that too much of an issue no I, I quite liked the repetition I didn't think I would but in fact I really got into the swing of it the first few weeks I was like this is really hard I'm not creatively stimulated I you know I want to be in a coffee shop I imagined writing my first book 
in a room, you know, full of bustling people getting their coffees on the way to work. I didn't, I didn't imagine writing it sort of like just at my dining room table. So the first, the first few weeks were really difficult, but then it was like, once I got into this routine and it was a habit, it was just a lot easier. Okay. I want to ask you about your story because I mean, it's really central to the whole concept of, of the book. You actually came to drinking quite late can you can you tell me just a bit about your relationship with alcohol over the years and and how it's changed yeah of course so I I mean I would say late in kind of British terms so I didn't when I was younger I was a competitive dancer so I literally trained all the time my weekends I was spent competing so while some of my school friends were doing the whole you know like 14 drunk at the park that I just wasn't doing that and I'm an August birthday so I'm like the last one in the year to turn 18 so I turned 18 literally about three weeks before I went to uni so I hadn't even had any kind of nightlife experience or going to clubs and going to pubs and bars because I wasn't old enough and then I went to University of Sussex to study English and it was almost as if this like nightlife culture was this like magical Disneyland to me because I went there and and it was Brighton seafront you know there was like bars and pubs galore and I kind of threw myself into it I got jobs working in bars and flyering and promoting and suddenly went from this person who hadn't really drunk or had an experience of being very drunk to being this kind of like boozy party girl student that was like three four five nights a week binge drinking and I always say I never really learned how to drink sensibly I at the time this was when it was like Geordie Shaw had just come out and at the time you know we all watched it as students and we were like this is great they just go out they get really mortal they don't care what anyone thinks and we started sort of like copying that behavior and then towards the end of uni I started um, experiencing some more of the negative effects I started blacking out more so I would go out and not really remember huge parts of my night and I was kind of feeling like really embarrassed getting that horrendous beer fear the next morning of what did I say who did I speak to I think my uni work was kind of suffering because of it and then I left uni managed to get a 2-1 and I still to this day do not know how because I was drunk for most of the time Um, and then went to work in fashion PR and again it was like a really boozy culture it was very work hard play hard so we would do a lot of like launches for brands and then we would go out and drink and I would you know fall asleep on the train home and end up at train stations miles away from my house rock up to work the next morning feeling so hungover with like a a bacon roll in my hand Um, and then I kind of moved into I'd always wanted to do fashion journalism but I found it really hard to get into when I left uni so eventually I managed to get a job in fashion journalism and I kind of thought well I need to take this a bit more seriously now and I really don't want to drink at work events because this this is my career and this is what I want to do and so instead I just started drinking a lot more at the weekends so I would go out with my friends go to clubs and I would spend Friday Saturday night you know in bed struggling with a hangover the worst crippling hangover anxiety And gradually that anxiety and like lack of self-confidence really took over. And I kind of, without me even knowing, drinking kind of became something that I felt like I needed more than I'd like wanted when I first started drinking. So I felt like I couldn't go to social situations without a drink. 
I felt like I wasn't the confident party girl persona when I wasn't drinking. I wasn't really entirely sure who I was anymore. And then I I went through a really bad breakup towards the end of um, 2017. And I did what we're all taught to do in a breakup, which is drink through it. So I was drinking a lot more than I had before in like a few months. Um, Going out a lot, just in this kind of like real Groundhog Day shame spiral, using it for stress, using it to relax, using it for confidence. And then I went out in February 2018 and I just, I don't really remember any of the night. I had a horrendous blackout. I woke up the next morning. I felt absolutely horrendous. I just felt really sad, really anxious, really low. And I had about about a few weeks before I'd read an interview in Stylist with Catherine Gray and she was bringing out this new book called The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. So that morning I remembered that I'd read this interview and I thought I'm going to download that audio book. So I downloaded it and listened to it and it just changed the way I thought about drinking. I had never really thought about drinking as something that I couldn't do. So it, it we, we're always taught, especially I'd say in, in Britain, that you have have to kind of like make it work so whether that's you know moderating counting your units only drinking you know wine and not spirits or only doing this and only doing that and I never really thought actually I could just take it off the table and that's what the kind of book showed me is that actually there might be this absolute joy in not drinking that I had never and it sounds silly now but I'd never even contemplated that I could live a life where I I just was a human who didn't drink so that day and I it's not like it was a magical that day I said I'm never drinking again and I just didn't because there there's so many other times that I'd said I'm never drinking again and didn't stick to it but that day I said I'm I'm not going to drink anymore and then three years later here we are (laughs) and can you tell me about the reactions of those around you when you decided to to not drink because I mean one of the things you write about is the sort of the way popular culture, uh, particularly in the UK and, and probably America to an extent, has made drinking just a part of adulthood and, and, and it's aspirational and it's glamorous. And you write about sort of the cocktails and sex in the city and, and so on. Um, can you tell me how it went down um, with those around you? Yeah, I mean, I always say they were actually quite ambivalent. I expected that their reactions were either going to be, no, this is the worst thing you could ever do, or they would rally around and say, yeah, you've needed to give up drinking forever. Well done you. And I think they were initially ambivalent because they just didn't believe me because they, I don't think they contemplated that because this was the, you know, 47th time I'd said I'm never drinking again. They just kind of brushed it off as an absolute, that won't happen. I think that's like how ingrained it is that no one actually took it seriously because they didn't think that I would genuinely go through with it I think I'm never drinking again is is a phrase that every single person who's ever been hung over has used and and what about the impact on dating I mean that's something you address I think for many people the thought of going on a, a date sober would be incredibly nerve-wracking can you can you tell me a little bit 
I mean, you you actually seem to find it quite a positive experience. Can you can you tell me about that? Yeah, I mean, initially I thought it would be like the worst experience in the world, but um, I was single when I first stopped drinking and I was online dating, working in London. And actually I found that 95% of people saw it as a really positive thing, which actually really surprised me. But I think we have this thing where actually we are quite relieved when someone else says that they don't want to drink because especially if you're dating you know if you go go for a drink with that person and you don't actually like them you end up spending the entire night with them sometimes out of you know drinking an obligation and then the next day you're you're hung over and you think oh god why did I do that I didn't even really like them mm. um so I, I found that and I I found I was like a lot clearer on dates. I, I've i been on many drinking dates before where I'd, I'd been on dates and thought, you know, this person is the one. I come home and I'd say, oh, I found the one. And then the next time I'd meet them would be without drinking. And I'd be like, I actually don't think we have much in common. It was quite awkward. Whereas I found... It sounds really like clinical, but I found the process was a lot more like efficient because I would go there. I would know if there was natural chemistry because you can just tell when you're not drinking if, if you're genuinely going to get along with someone. And I feel like the red flags were a lot more noticeable as well. I was very kind of open to like seeing those, whereas when I was drinking, it was very I would just kind of like brush things off and think, you know, they're, they're funny and I think they're good looking and that's all I really cared about. Whereas when I stopped drinking, I, I, yeah, was a lot more, I'm not really sure what the word is, but just more observant of behaviors. And I've, I found the process actually quite enjoyable towards the end, to be honest, because you just, you meet new people and then you realize that if they're not for you, they're not for you. And, and you gain this kind of, I talk about alcohol quite a lot as like a synthetic confidence. So, you know, like as soon as you feel like you're going on a date and you need that Dutch courage, you take that drink and then you feel more courageous. But then the next day when that, when that drink is gone, so, so is the courage. So again, the next time you go on a date, you can't contemplate going on that date without that magical courage whereas when you're dating and you don't have alcohol you get through it and you go okay that wasn't as bad as I thought and you build this like innate confidence and courage that you can then carry on going with so the first few dates sober are awkward you will feel like you hate it and like to be realistic about that you'll be like oh I'm not sure if I want to do this again but then you'll get through it and you'll be like actually it's fine and you'll do the next one and you'll do the next one and by the end you will have built this like real inner confidence that means that you you won't feel like you need to have a drink to go on a date so what what are the downsides of of not drinking what what are the hardest things I think the hardest things, I mean, the hardest things for me were other people's opinions of it, really, and having to talk about it every time I met a new person, every time I did a lot of freelancing at one point, and every time I went in a new office, you know, they'd have like Friday night drinks, or it was someone's birthday, or, and every time I was given a drink, and I'd said, I'm okay, thanks, I don't drink, you get the why, and you have to decide in that moment whether you want to like explain yourself, or whether you want to go into the whole story, or whether you just want to lie and say you're on antibiotics that that's one of the hardest things and going out even I mean my friends do not do it at all anymore but at the start they would be like oh come on just have one like you're fine you're not that bad that's like another big problem I think is the that you're not that bad conversation and do you ever just miss it do you know what I have this conversation quite a lot and I don't miss like alcohol per se I don't ever look at a glass of wine and think oh I really want that the thing I miss is that like 
the closing off of your brain, because I'm an overthinker, I've got a very active mind, my brain is whirring at a million miles per hour at all times. And when I was drinking, I just, it turned off everything. I just used to, not even when I was completely blacking out, but I would just not think about the next day, I would not think about the future, I would not think about any insecurities, anything like that. So that's, that's like one of the main challenges, I would say, and the thing that you would probably miss most, well, or that I do, is kind of that shutdown. So I've had to learn, you know, meditation and other ways to relax and turn off that busy part of my brain. Can we talk a little bit about lockdown? As I mentioned, you know, the, the timing of our conversation is is interesting because um, booze and lockdown sort of go hand in hand now. I mean, we, you know, people have quarantine hour. I think for a lot of people, particularly working parents who are also now having to uh, homeschool, um, a glass of wine at the end of the day is sort of the highlight of of what is otherwise a monotonous existence. And um, there have been concerns raised that the lockdowns and the fact that people are cooped up are going to lead to more problematic relationship with alcohol. We've seen a lot of surveys in which people say that they're drinking more in lockdown. We've seen um, supermarkets say that alcohol sales have increased in lock, lockdown. Um, how has that affected you and, and kind of what how can we sort of, I suppose, moderate our, our relationship with alcohol in, in lockdown? And perhaps if we start, start with you, I mean, have you felt infuriated by the sort of, I suppose, by the kind of social media culture of perhaps, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's lockdown and pour me another glass of, of wine. What, what has your sort of emotional journey to use a slightly cringy word (laughs) yeah I mean the first thing that I would say is like I'm not here to judge anyone's drinking or coping mechanisms like we're all this is the first time any of us have experienced a global pandemic and we're all just trying to get through it so uh, there's no judgment there and it's not I feel infuriated when I see those kind of like lockdown memes but there is kind of like I don't even know if it's a sadness but it's like a longing to want to tell people that that isn't how they need to cope like there is other ways but again it's not like I, I slide into people's messages and say hey guess what like there's another way like because I have realized over time that if people want to talk about their alcohol they will come to me and, and they will seek out help hopefully I mean in terms of the like moderation question moderation is really difficult it is very elusive for a lot of people because the way alcohol works is it actually affects your prefrontal cortex which is the the part of your brain that makes rational decisions so even if you said I'm gonna have three drinks tonight and that's it when you get to your third drink your brain does not have the ability to make the same rational decisions that it did three drinks ago so it will be harder for you to have that willpower and for you to have that resolve and then that's kind of when we get that shame the next day of oh I said I was only gonna have three drinks but I'm a terrible human because I couldn't I couldn't carry on and that like and and so that is that is one thing that I would just say is that moderation is quite hard and but if there if there is a good way to moderate I always say there isn't a healthy way to drink but there is a healthier way and for me the question would be like why are you drinking are you drinking because you know you're celebrating and you're on a zoom quiz and everyone's having a drink and you're jolly and you're happy 
or are you drinking because you can't cope with the stress or you're upset or you're bored or you're anxious because that is how you're going to develop negative coping strategies so that is like the the main thing that I would say is to and this is kind of where sober curiosity and mindful drinking is coming in is just rather than mindlessly thinking I'm stressed pour me a glass of wine it's actually taking the time to think okay well you know could I maybe have a bath instead well that what is the root cause of this stress can I address that rather than just mindlessly reaching for the alcohol that that's like the main question that I would ask so ask that question and then potential alternatives you mentioned a bath what other practical things could people perhaps try if if they are wanting to moderate their alcohol intake Mm, I mean switch it for an alcohol free drink would be a good one there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that and there's some amazing alcohol free drinks out there at the moment I know that sometimes even now three years down the line if I'm stressed I will sit down you know make a nice glass of alcohol free wine and often it's actually that ritual and it's that habit that that helps you it's not necessarily even the alcohol it's just sometimes taking a moment taking a breath sitting down so I would say that as like a really practical thing or if you want to swap that with like a herbal tea getting outside for like 10 minutes I always say if you get that craving just literally do anything else just like get outside do 10 minutes of meditation I mean coloring there's so many good things out and I think it's there's there's basically a technique called the halt technique which is hungry angry lonely tired so they're like four really big triggers for drinking so it's often analyzing those things as well so like oh actually am I just tired maybe would a nap help because I mean me personally I think naps actually solve quite a lot but that's that's one other practical thing you know you might actually just be thirsty try drinking something else first and then see how you feel Mm, mm, mm. it's really interesting that's really good practical advice can I ask a little bit about um your sort of I suppose career as a sober influencer if you don't mind my saying (laughs) that (laughs) I mean do you hate that word do you hate the word influencer do you know what I I do and I don't because it it's it has negative connotations i think when you think influencer you think someone trying to plug you boohoo dresses like that is, that is what i think about whereas my my job is a writer i've been a journalist for like 5 years I write for loads of different magazines and papers. And then I started Sober Girl Society, which was a community. So this this was something I started when I was seven months sober because I there wasn't anything on Instagram that I resonated with when it came to my drinking. There was a lot of like people talking about mummy wine culture. There was a lot of people, you know, based in the US, but there wasn't anything for like young British millennial girls who just wanted to still go out, to still have fun, but didn't want to drink. And I followed loads of community accounts at the time who had like a shared purpose or an interest in common for like sustainability or veganism, but there wasn't anything for non-drinkers. So I started Sober Girl Society as uh, like a community. I talked a bit about my drinking story, but really it was for like everyone else. And then all of a sudden I was being approached to speak on panels and write more about sobriety rather than fashion that I was doing. And then all of a sudden I got kind of like positioned as this like 
spearhead of the the UK sober movement, which wasn't anything I ever really asked for. It was just something that naturally came by talking about my journey. But I mean, if you are going to be an influencer, I I do feel like I'm influencing for good things and not like just trying to get people to buy stuff. I'm not trying to get anyone to buy anything apart from obviously now the book, but it's, it's a it's an influencing for good, I like to think, but I, I mean, I would reject that word if I could. So you have um, ne- nearly 20,000 um, Instagram followers. Do you feel pressure to, can you just explain, I, I think it's really interesting, when I've interviewed influencers in, in the past um, for, say, articles or whatever, the, the kind of professionalism that goes into it um do you feel you have to post a certain number of times a week a day are you are you very strategic about how you sort of curate your I suppose your 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 main grid versus your stories and 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 so on can you just tell me a little bit about the, the amount of time and and so on that goes into that yeah I mean a a lot of time goes into it but like for me social media is um it's like a tool I mean it is a marketing tool really so there's not actually a lot that goes up on social media you know about my life about my holidays about my boyfriend about it's it's really all based around sobriety and the joy of not drinking so everything I kind of put out there is related in sobriety in some way there's I would say five percent of maybe even like three percent of my life on Instagram and the rest is you know personal to me um but I would say that I I mean because I've I've worked for magazines and I I know about like content creation and I remember working in magazines and and the influencers were like the devil when I when I worked at magazines because they were like cited as one of the reasons that they weren't selling as much and then you just think the influencers stand there in a nice outfit, but you you don't realize the kind of like expectations and content creation that brands have. And in fact, a lot of my like income from social media doesn't even come from brands. It comes from doing other stuff outside of that. So like I do a lot of um, like stuff. Um, oh God, what is the word? Well, basically helping like brands launch into this space and understand what they're kind of like, what they want to offer yeah that's the word consultancy um two non-alcoholic brands kind of like launching in this space um so that's one of the things I do I work with universities um I do do a lot of other stuff that isn't just like here's a pretty picture but um yeah they I mean you you can send content to a brand and they'll come back and say I don't like that can you reshoot it and you've spent your entire day doing it so there's a lot that goes into it I think rather than just posting but I make sure that I have like a lot of factual information about there I make sure I have like all the support lines there there's there's a lot there rather than just like hey mocktails and glitter (laughs) which I think people think that that's what influencing is half of the time. It's interesting that you mention having the factual information and the support lines because, of course, that is actually something that I hadn't thought about. But you have a sort of note at the start of your book um, saying, you know, this isn't a substitute for medical or psychological help. Um, Can you just tell me about that sort of responsibility you feel and whether it's sometimes a little stressful? Because, of course, actually, if someone 
has a severe alcohol dependency and they just give it up, then then that could be quite dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. So it can be, if you're going, if you are alcohol dependent and you just stop drinking, it can actually be very dangerous. That has to be done under medical supervision. So I always say like, if you think that that could be you, then you absolutely need to go to like a doctor. Um, I always put out the disclaimer that I am not an expert or a professional. Um, I do make sure that I know absolutely everything. I know like who to onward refer to. I know who can offer them support. I, I have one-on-one people that I know well and work with that I refer people to if they come to me and they need extra help. But I always just have to say like, actually, I'm a person who just stopped drinking. I don't have all the answers. What worked for me is not going to necessarily work for you. But then I just started this space for other people to get together, talk about, you know, non-alcoholic wine or how do you go on a date sober? And in fact, the book is not necessarily a guide to this is how you quit drinking because I believe that that is everyone, everyone is different. But when I stopped drinking, it sounds silly, but I knew how to stop drinking. I needed to just stop. I needed to go out and I needed to not drink. It was all the things that I knew would bring me back to drinking, like going on a date or going on a festival, going on a hen do, cravings, seeing a good wine. It was all those kind of things that I knew would bring me back to drinking that I wanted to tackle in the book. So it's mainly like my experience of this is how I've done all those things sober. This is how like I went on a Hindu and I managed to go to a gin distillery and not drink the gin. So it's it's not necessarily a this is a how you quit drinking guide. And before I sort of wrap things up, um, can I ask you just a little bit about the actual kind of process of um, we, we touched on it at the, at the very start, but um you mentioned, you know, you were asked to write the book and given this deadline. Was it purely an approach from a publisher? You you hadn't you hadn't pitched it. Um, so I was actually approached by an agent to um to they they thought so basically someone followed me and they were very good friends with an agent and they said to the agent I think this would make a fantastic book so the agent approached me and then we worked on the proposal together and submitted it to publishers so that was the way it worked so I was kind of approached to write it but not by a publisher and the actual process of writing the book you were doing this kind of every day in lockdown getting it writing the book do you have a kind of set number of words that you like to get through do you have certain routines and rituals that need to be in place do you write at particular times of of day uh, can you tell me a little bit about about that Oh, not necessarily, to be honest, because it was, I did a lot of interviews for it as well. So I interviewed a lot of other sober women for it to talk about their stories. I interviewed a lot of experts, kind of like each subject that I've written about in the book has got like an expert voice at the center of it. So, you know, the first few weeks, it was a lot of firing off emails, um, writing exactly what I wanted to put in there and who I wanted to speak to um, and doing a lot of those interviews and then kind of collating it chapter by chapter I I do find it a lot easier to write sort of in the day after about 4 p.m I'm done for the day so Mm. I always like to to get up early but that there wasn't any kind of like set process it was just like try and get it done basically and what's next for you 
Oh, I mean, it's all global pandemic depending. So last year, we really started running a lot of events for Sober Girl Society. So we run like a bottomless, boozeless brunch series. We do dancing events for people who want to come and learn how to dance without a drink. And we were just getting into the swing of those. We did a few in London. We did one in Manchester. And that was going to kind of be what Sober Girl Society was, was monthly events that people could come to and meet other like-minded women and kind of learn how to do things without alcohol and then it all just got cancelled so I am hoping as soon as we can safely do it that we can bring those events back because Sober Girl Society is kind of like all about the connection and and you know helping each other as women and supporting each other on on the journey the cliche word (laughs) on the journey. And my final question which is a question I ask everyone is if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice what would it be? Or probably to like calm down on the drinking or just to say, you know, like drinking isn't everything. There was a time when it was the only thing that I associated with fun and being myself and just to tell myself that like it would be okay if I stopped drinking or if I stopped using it to, you know, be this like loud, confident person. I'd say that would be the main thing I would go back and say. That is a very appropriate answer to the <laughs> yeah. question. Very on brand. Millie, thank you so much. That was so interesting. I'm so happy that we managed to cover so much. Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And to everyone listening, the Sober Girl Society handbook is out now. So that's it from me. Thank you so much for listening to the Sunday Salon. Please do share your thoughts about the episode with me. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alice Zania. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please do think about leaving a rating or review. It makes a big difference to the podcast success. So thank you very much. And until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.